0: Welcome to the Harvest Time podcast. Harvest Time is a faith community reaching and embracing real people, engaging them in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit harvesttime.net. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. When Time Magazine launched the 100 most famous people of all time, number one was Jesus Christ, number two was Napoleon, and number three was a guy named Muhammad. One of these three never carried a sword. One of these three taught things like lay down your life, turn the other cheek. One of these three gave up his life to give his followers everlasting life. One of these three is very different than the other two. Let's, um, let's talk religion. Can we do that today? I know it's a, it's a touchy topic, today's culture, but, but can we discuss religion in church? Am I the wrong church? Uh, Can we discuss religion in church? Come on, is that okay to talk about religion in church? I mean, let's just, okay. Thank you, thank you, good. So if you look at all the major world religions, all but four of them are philosophically based on philosophical propositions. Four of them are based upon individuals. Of these four individual-driven religion systems, only one of them, watch this close, claims an empty tomb for its founder. You can gather the, the thousands of Muslims and Jews and Buddhists across the globe, and none of them will tell you that their founder gave his life for them and then came back from the dead. Christianity is the only religion that gives you a savior that gave his life for you. Christianity believes that his life and death was not based for just any reason. But we contend the Bible itself speaks of his purpose in living and in dying. And we know from the scripture that he died to save us from ourselves, from our sins, and from evil in this life, and from eternal judgment in the life to come, in the afterlife, in eternity. Now historians agree to his life, even to his death. But if you mention the resurrection, you get crickets. Everybody gets quiet quickly. And here is their defense against the resurrection. You want to hear it? It's not science, it's not history, but here's what they say. They simply say that doesn't happen. Miracles like that just don't happen. Isn't that a great defense against the resurrection? That just doesn't happen? Now, I believe in miracles. In fact, I believe he came back from that. I believe that Jesus Christ came back to life. I believe in miracles. In fact, if it wasn't for miracles, most of us would not be married right now. Some of you men in great denial. I mean, you just, uh, I can promise you, God helped her to look at you with some fogged eyes. I'll let that simmer for a second. Christianity stands or falls with the resurrection. The Scripture talks about the resurrection. The Bible, by the way, is the greatest selling book of all time. Over 5 billion copies sold, and that number is climbing. It's going out of every language, every tongue, every tribe. The Word of God just grows and grows and grows daily, daily, daily. The Bible is getting bigger and bigger. And the Bible talks about this. Go real fast to 1 Corinthians 15, chapter, uh, 15, verse 3, quickly. It says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Then it says he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, verse 6. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren, watch this, at once, to whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Sounds like a church service. Some present, some are asleep. Back to our text. It says, "After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles." Verse eight. Last of all, seen by me also, as one born out of due time. Go to verse verse twelve, real fast. If Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, watch this. How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? How do you say that? Verse verse thirteen. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, and then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, watch this, you got to get this, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. If there isn't a resurrection, then there is no Christianity. There is no hope for life after death, and we should all go home right now. Everything about Jesus Christ hinges not just on his life, not just on his death, but on the resurrection power. Now, when you think about this, I believe that the resurrection is true. Here's a couple things I think is proof of the resurrection. Number one, eyewitness accounts. People who were alive when he was killed, when he was buried, and when he rose from the dead were alive when the Bible was written eyewitness accounts. Secondly, government officials. People who were not believers. In fact, they didn't like Christ. They still knew historically that he was alive, he was killed, and he came back to life. They knew that. Uh, number three, what about this? What about the, uh, the disciples? The disciples go from being cowards, being courageous, from being uh, fearful to being faithful, from denying Christ to dying for Christ, what had to happen? How did they go from point A to point B? I think a resurrection might do that. What about changed lives of which I am one of them? I have seen Jesus Christ touch people's lives, and you have too. You know people in your life who are different today than they were before they came to Christ. I, I think this one might be the most compelling Of all the reasons why I believe in the resurrection, it's his half brother James. He called him the Son of God. Now, my question for you is what would have to happen for you to believe that your brother was the Son of God? I have a brother, he is not the Son of God. And you have some too in this house. How many you have a brother in the house, okay? What would need to happen for you to look at your brother and go, son of God? I'm, I'm just asking the question. I think maybe a resurrection might bring that to a different perspective for you. Now, if Jesus rose from the dead, and I believe he did, then you have to accept all he said. If he didn't, why believe anything he said? Don't live in between. He is either everything or he's nothing. Because everything he said hinges and rests upon this one thing called the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is either Lord, liar, or lunatic. He's either one of these or two of these, but he cannot be all three of these. I believe that he is Lord. Now, the resurrection is not something Christ did. It's something he is. In John chapter 11, he said this. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. His resurrection gives us hope, watch this, that sorrow can be turned to joy, that loss can be found, and that death can come back to life. I have seen Jesus Christ resurrect marriages and families and finances and relationships and employment and physical bodies. I have seen Jesus Christ make up the gap in people's lives because he is the risen Savior. Christianity is the only belief system that offers at its center forgiveness. It's built upon forgiveness and not upon payment, why? Because payment was made by Jesus Christ upon the cross. You don't have to do anything to be saved. Jesus did the work, all we have to do is simply believe. There's nothing to do. Other than believe. Jesus did the work. We have to receive his free gift in our life. And that makes the payment for our sin ours. And we're now forgiven. Let's talk about the cross. The place where Jesus Christ died between two thieves. Very inappropriate, I believe, when you look at the two choices of each one of them. Luke chapter 23. It says, a sign was fastened to the cross above him. Notice this. With these words... This is the king of the Jews. Now, we know that's mockery. That was not sincerity. That was mockery. Now, watch the next verse down. One of the criminals, hanging beside him, scoffed, a scoffer. He said, so, you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. Verse 40. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you're being sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then this criminal said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Verse 43, a compelling verse. Jesus replied and said, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Two criminals, two different responses. One scoffed, one submitted. One asked for forgiveness and acceptance. The other asked for favor and mockery. Two criminals, two choices. Let's talk about choice and beliefs. Do you realize that all beliefs are simply choices? And today, you may not believe in God or believe in Jesus Christ, and that's fine if you choose to do that, but that's a choice you're making. You have no more proof to believe the way you believe than to believe the way I believe. No more evidence. In fact, I would suggest I have more in my camp of belief system than you have in your camp. Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again. That's pretty compelling evidence. Historical evidence, factual evidence, it's all before us. And we can teach you much more than this at a later time. I would love to share with you all the reason why I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But think about it this way: all belief systems come back to choices. In most cases, here's what we do: we take the beliefs that we like. We, it's what I call buffeting our belief systems. How many of you like a buffet? Who likes a buffet? Okay, on a buffet, you take what you like and you leave what you don't like. You take the stuff you enjoy. I'll clean out the mac and cheese and the beef, and I'll leave for you the beets. And all that stuff. I take what I like, leave what I don't. We do that with God. I love a loving God. <clears throat> I believe God's love. God is love. And so you take that belief, and now everything you think about God comes back to I think God's love. And then we come over here to God is just and God is holy, and you go, I don't like that very much. So I don't believe in a holy and just God. I just believe God is love. God is love. God is love. Do you love God? God loves me. God says, be holy. I don't want to do that. I want a loving God, not a holy God. And God is loving. God is holy. So we buffet our beliefs and we take what we like and leave what we don't. That's how the human nature works. We pick what we want to believe. Now watch this. Each of us today have a choice to choose to believe in Jesus. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says this. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10. For it's with the heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you, are, that you confess and are saved. What does Jesus save us from? Jesus saves us from the eternal penalty, penalty of sin by having paid the penalty with his own life. Romans chapter five, verse eight, it says, but God demonstrates his love for us. Watch this. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for me before I ever decided for him. Before I ever reached toward God, Jesus was already on the path reaching toward me. All right, so what's sin? What is sin? Let's talk about that quickly. Sin is any failure to conform to the law of God. It could be an act, an attitude, or part of our nature. Now, here's the good news and the bad news. The good news is we're all in this together. All of us in our lifetime have sinned and have sinned. The difference in this room today is not who is sinned and who is not sin. The difference is who's received forgiveness of sin from Jesus Christ versus who still walk in their own self-assurance and living out their life their way. Romans chapter 323, you gotta get this. It says, For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Listen to this close. It's like when you were a kid at the amusement park, and they had a little measuring stick. And if you weren't tall enough, you weren't gonna get on the rod. Y'all track it so far, say yes. And here was the measuring stick. And if you weren't a certain height, you couldn't get on. So you walk up to God's glorious standard of living. God's righteousness, God's holiness, all these things. And here's the standard. And you walk up and you're this tall. But guess what? Jesus Christ makes up the gap. So you walk up and you're this tall and here's God's expectation. And then Jesus comes in by you believing and he fills the gap. And now you're this tall and you get the ride, the ride, because Jesus filled the gap in your life. That's how this works. Now my dilemma growing up was I was always afraid of the ride. I was taller, but I was too scared. And then I got not scared, I got too big. And I couldn't fit in the ride. And now they just plum hurt. So I try to avoid roller coasters. Jesus Filled the gap for you and for me. Go back to verse 24. It says, Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins watch this for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for our sin. Why did Jesus die? He sacrificed for my sin and for your sin. He paid the penalty and the payment that was due for what we had done wrong before God. Now watch this close. You got to get this. This is the key verse, part of the verse right here. People are made right with God when they believe. When you walk up to God's glorious standard that's right here and you look at your life, you say, man, I am nothing. You know what you gotta do to fill the gap in for Jesus to fill the gap? You simply have to believe. Everybody say believe. When you believe, Jesus fills the gap in your life and now you're tall enough. Watch this. When they believe that Jesus was sacrificed, sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Now, I realize that the word sin comes at some level of discomfort for us today's people. I recognize that that some view the word offensive. Some reject the idea of sin. I understand that. What about this word? What about the word evil? I think we can all embrace that word maybe a little bit better. We see evil all the time. We've seen it these, these recent days. We saw evil when a pilot flew a plane into a mountain and killed 140 plus people. We saw evil when Islamic terrorists rose up and went to a university and began a shooting spree. That is evil, I think. We see evil all around us because sin lurks within us. And the sin on the inside manifests on the outside and its impact is everywhere. Here's a couple quick thoughts for you on sin. First of all, sin is deceptive. It always offers you something in the present without showing you the penalty down the road it never shows you that it's deceptive it's tempting that's why you do it you do things that are tempting sin is also driving us to a life of duplicity a lot of people are person a with this group and person b with this group and sin encourages that sin says come to church raise your hands go to church do all the right stuff Live like Jesus on Sunday from 9 to noon. And then go out here on Monday and live like all your friends and everybody else because that's okay because God is love and he's okay with that. Sin encourages a life of duplicity. Our culture, our social media, our internet technology access and our character flaws on the inside make us all very vulnerable to that lifestyle. What about this? Sin is destructive by nature. It destroys lives and people and things that matter to us. Sin also has delayed consequences, leaving us with the belief that we have dodged the bullet. That was close. I barely escaped. You can't escape the grip of the devil. You may think you're out ahead of him, but he's got you right where he wants you. The Bible tells us the final outcome of sin is death. Romans chapter 6, 23 says the price or the wage of sin is death. Hear me today, the longer you choose not to deal with your sin, the more it will cost you. Sin is felt often like a bruise or a wound in our life. Bruises are under the skin, pains we feel, the unseen things, the addictions, the bondages, the hurts of the past, the guilt, the shame that manifest at unexpected times. The prophet Isaiah, 700 years before the crucifixion of Christ, wrote about this day. He said he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him, Jesus on the cross, the iniquity of us all. What do those words mean? He was pierced for transgressions. What is transgressions, Marty? That's the rebellious, self-reliant nature in all of us. That I'll do it my way, living. I've got this thing, God. I don't need your help. I'm good to go. Crush for our iniquities. What's the iniquities? That's our character flaws. Things that run so deep in us, we don't even realize we do them. You've lied so long, you lie out of habit now. You've lusted so long, you lust out of habit. You've been angry so long, that's all you know. You've cheated so much, you're comfortable with it. See, that's when sin moves to a character flaw in your life, and to not just a sinful act, but an iniquity that's now present every day. And you think no one sees it, and everybody sees it. And you think you got it, but you don't have it. Jesus can help you today. He was punished for our peace. I think we could all agree today that our world needs peace. Jesus paid the price for our peace. He was whipped for our healing because we're sick. All of us recognize that. Throughout the Scripture, the Scripture utilizes thorns as the symbol of the fruit of sin. Jesus had thorns placed upon his head spiny prickly cutting deep inside of us that's what sin does to us that's what our sin did to him now quickly jesus saves us from eternal judgment let's just pause on this thought for a second I recognize that some scoff at this idea of life after death or even judgment because God's a God of love and therefore it'll be just a love fest for eternity and that's the belief system you're choosing to live out. Let's talk about this. Maybe you don't believe in life after death. Maybe you think that the lights go out. I don't believe that at all. Jesus saves us from eternal judgment. I think afterlife and afterlife judgment just makes sense. For example at the end of the class there's a test at the end of the game there's a score at the end of the race there's a winner and there's a loser at the end of this life there's a judgment and a place where you will go and i will go all based upon if we believe in jesus christ or not now having said all that listen close absent religious thought There is no basis for any form of afterlife. If you believe at any level, at any level, that there's a life after death, you got that from religious thinking. Now, what you've done is you've taken versions of this and some of that, and you've morphed into your own philosophy of how this really all winds down. But I submit to you this day, they can't all be right. One of them is right, and all the rest are wrong because none of them agree. Not just on the what, but upon the how. Now, I, I, I can't buy the lights out theory. I, I just can't buy that we're living life, the lights go out, and voila, we're done, it's over, and you cease to exist. I just can't buy that, and I'll tell you why. We love to live. We fight to live. The fight for you to live is the eternal part that God put inside of you when he created you. That's his eternity crying out from the inside. You don't want to die. Human's greatest fear is dying or talking in public, which I'm doing right now. You'd rather die than be here, wouldn't you? Our greatest fear is death because our greatest passion is to live. And that's eternity bound up in the heart of man. So, who will be in hell? Does God just look at people and go, ah, I think we'll send her, let's send him, let's send those two, these three, seven of those, six of those, doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way at all. In fact, I can tell you with all faith, there won't be anybody in hell who doesn't want to be there. Nobody. And I want to tell you why. You and I can choose where we spend eternity you can make a choice for Jesus Christ today and determine where you go in the afterlife. So, what happens when this is all over? I don't mean the service, I mean this life. Human beings are the only creatures so developed that we understand the game comes to an end, we get that. Your dog don't know it, your cat has no clue there's a thing called death, The deer don't, well, maybe the deer do know in Arkansas that there is a thing called death. Only we understand that. It's our glory. It's our agony. It's also our opportunity to make a right decision. Because here's a reality. Most people spend more time planning their vacation than they do their eternity. One day... The creator of all things is going to step out on the scene. He will drop the curtain for one final time, and it's going to be over. God's going to invade. At that point, it'll be too late to make a choice for Jesus Christ. Today, this moment, is our chance to choose to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. It's always encouraging to know how God is touching lives through this ministry. So if you have a story of how God is working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at share at harvesttime.net.